Welcome to the Frontline Industry Podcast. Every week, we talk with top senior executives to get their advice on positively impacting frontline employees, companies, and customers. On today's episode, Attract, Train, Retain, and Treasure, I talk to Ari Medoff, CEO at Erosa, the premier provider of integrated care management and caregiving services. Ari discusses his passion for creating a uniquely flat org structure, his birthday present to an 89-year-old frontline employee, and her reaction, personally working on the front lines as CEO, the impact of his maternal grandfather, and the importance of finding meaning in your work. Don't go anywhere. The Frontline Industry Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Frontline Industry Podcast. My name is Joel, and I am joined today with, I would say, a very inspiring and servant leader, Ari Medoff. And Ari uh, is the CEO of Arosa, which is the premier provider of integrated care management and caregiving services with almost 30 locations now across eight different states and around 2,000 employees. Ari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joel. Great to be with you. Really happy to be chatting with you today. Before we get started, just fill in the listeners on what is Arosa, who you are, what you do every single day. Absolutely. Uh, Joel, Arosa is a national provider. We're in eight states, as you said, with almost 30 offices where we provide uh, the best in-home senior care. So that, that's personal non-medical care to the elderly and care management services. So these are experts, social workers, nurses, gerontologists, occupational therapists who really act as guides and navigators to families and, and our clients themselves as they go through the aging journey. And so we are a, uh, we are a social enterprise. We're a for-profit social enterprise with our mission. The top part of our mission is to attract, train, retain, and treasure the best care professionals. And you know, it, the past year or two, um, I think that being a great employer has become ever more important and certainly ever more publicized and recognized as being important. We have had that mission as, as the top part of our DNA since 2012, since I joined a company called Nurse Care of North Carolina. Attract, train, retain, and treasure the best care professionals has been our mission. And Later, maybe we'll get into the second part of our mission because I think that they dovetail with one another. Um, but that—that that is a bit about who we are. I love that, and and if you wouldn't mind, the the words attract, train, and retain—they make sense to I would say virtually anyone who's listening. But I think treasure is a very specific word choice that I can't imagine you just threw in there. And I would love for you to share a little more about that because I'm very curious. It is, and. Treasuring our care professionals, treasuring everyone who works in the company is, is vitally important. We are in a unique business model where we were a distributed, uh, almost gig type workforce uh, well before uh, you know, so many of these other DoorDashes and, and other types of gig companies uh, came about. Meaning we operate in a thousand places at a thousand times. Uh, of day. And so we have to be really creative about how we say thank you. We have to be really creative about how we communicate with one another. We have to be really creative about how we make everyone on the team feel a part of something bigger than themselves. Because when they go to work every day, they're not coming to an Arosa office or 
I guess, let's say 95% of our teammates who are, who are care professionals or caregivers, I should say, are going directly to a client's home. How do we make everyone feel proud to be a part of Arosa? That takes treasure in them. If that means that we choose some unique holidays to celebrate, like Mother's Day is a, a paid holiday uh, and, and we, you know, 93% of our teammates are women. So hence, Mother's Day is an important one for us. Yeah. Uh, we celebrate Worldwide Gratitude Day on September 21st. Uh, and that dovetails with our top core value, which is be ambitious while humble and grateful. So treasure to me means showing gratitude. It means saying thank you wherever we can, because we, you have to be observant. To say a good thank you, you have to be observant. You have to pay attention. If I just send you a thank you note that says, Joel, thank you. It was really nice to meet you. That's a lot less meaningful to you than sending you a thank you note saying, Joel, uh, you know, on December 6th, we sat down for a podcast and you asked some of the best questions that uh, I've ever had in an interview. And in, in particular, your background research was thorough and your approach was, was thoughtful. That's going to mean so much more to you because it showed that I was paying attention as to how, as to what you were doing. And that's what we all want. We all want to be recognized for the good work that we do. So that, that to me is, is what treasure means. It, it's very hard. I must admit, I've never worked in the healthcare space. And so, I mean, I'm making some assumptions here and tell me if I'm wrong, but I have to assume that it's a very competitive market and, and losing employees can be very costly and, and difficult for you, but also attracting them can be also very difficult to do. Walk me through how that impacts your employees then. Yeah. On a micro level, on a one-to-one level, when our employees are recipients of that treasuring, uh, you know, then it makes a huge difference. Um, I'll share with you one quick anecdote. Last Tuesday, just last week, um, I went down to Emerald Isle, North Carolina, to take our amazing caregiver teammate, Carol, out to lunch. And that was because she was celebrating her 89th birthday. And so we... We took her out to a great lunch. We gave her this beautiful gift box and inside it had 90 scratch off lottery tickets. So 90, uh, 89 plus one to grow on. Uh, and we've already made plans for next year's 90th birthday. We're gonna have to one up ourselves and figure out how, how to do it. So Saturday morning, um, you know, I'm, I'm lying in bed, uh, reading the New York Times on my phone. And at about 7.45, the phone rings and it was Carol calling just to say, how incredibly moved she was by uh, by my coming down on Tuesday that she shared the pictures and the video from it with her daughter in Idaho and uh, that her daughter said she felt like she was a part of the party uh, with us. So on a micro level, I think it has a absolutely tremendous impact. The question and challenge for us is how do we do that on a much broader basis? Uh, you know, I personally can't uh, take every employee out to lunch on his or her birthday. I do try to call and sing, and that's a joke in and of itself because my, my singing voices um, uh, leave something to be desired, let's, let's just say. But how do you scale that kind of culture of gratitude is something that we work at every day, but I think it starts with um, it starts with just a mutual commitment. And so one of our KPIs as a management team 
is writing thank you notes every single week. And we hold each other accountable as a management team to that. Wow. I mean, it's a great example. And it's funny that you mentioned the being specific about gratitude, because I was literally speaking to another executive COO of a, of a large manufacturing space uh, yesterday, same exact thing. You know, when he's walking the manufacturing floor, being able to call out specific uh, reward and recognition opportunities versus just, hey, thanks for serving here and working here. It's a totally different conversation. How, how does that impact then your, your turnover at a macro level? When you look across the organization, uh, how are you seeing that sort of trend as you attack it internally with gratitude and being specific uh, when it comes down to your turnover against the perhaps averages in the industry? Yeah. We're about 20% better than industry average. So uh, we are in an industry, as you uh, alluded to, that has high industry turnover. Uh, that, that does have very high turnover. And part of that is because the jobs we're providing um, are not uh, high enough paid. They don't come with enough benefits. Uh, and, and again, the ties are generally loose because we're not together in one place every day or many, you know, uh, with any kind of frequency. Um, industry turnover also happens because the nature of demand, because we are serving uh, seniors, we're serving the elderly who, um, you know, are aging or are sick. And so our clients pass away eventually, are, and hopefully at, at home if that's where they choose or wherever they choose to live out their last days. Our clients sometimes move from home into a senior living community. Um, and even in the best case, in terms of turnover, our clients recover. You know, so, so take a client who's had a surgery or has had an acute illness and they get better. Well, we get fired and we love to get fired for that reason. But that leads to very high industry turnover uh, overall because there's no, um, you know, the, there's no client that's going to live forever. So, you know, we, we are better than industry average. Industry averages have ranged from 60% up to, I think at one point it hit 82 or 83% turnover, which is pretty extraordinary when you think about it. Um, you know, and, and again, we, we kind of track right there at about 20% better than average. And, and I think that's a testament to the culture uh, that, that we have built around gratitude. And, um, and it is also a testament to our model which really has these professional care managers who I referenced earlier, the social workers, nurses, uh, gerontologists, and others who really work very, very closely with our clients and work very closely with our caregivers to make sure that, that, is, that both parties are feeling supported. And, and they're really expert relationship builders. So, um, you know, when there are concerns, they're helping to address them when there are micro trainings and you know small pieces of education that need to happen that are very client specific our care managers are expert at at making those things happen so i think that our model also has more support built in that helps reduce our turnover and hence increase our retention how many steps removed are you then from your frontline workers if i'm in the home of a elderly person are there two three levels between me and you well, uh, depends on the day. Uh, I, I'm wearing a polo shirt today, but I have my scrubs upstairs. I, I'm a CNA myself. I'm a nursing assistant. And so, um, you know, at times when we have 
schedule changes for caregiver teammates or sometimes on holidays, um, you know, I am, I'm providing that direct care myself as well. So some days I would say zero, you know, I, I, it's, it's an interesting question, Joel, because I've actually never really counted, um, you know, it'd be, if you want to look at it in terms of levels, it'd probably be three or four, but there are lots of days. I, I would say most days I'm speaking directly with caregiver teammates, um, you know, whether that is, again, calling to sing happy birthday, whether that is uh, inviting um, a, a teammate to speak on a panel with me. Um, we should have done that for this podcast. We, we could have had uh, we, we could have had an amazing teammate, uh, you know, sit right here. Or if that's just dropping off, uh, you know, uh, some fresh cookies, you know, at a client's house and and to a caregiver at the same time. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of interaction. So um, we are a uh, I think culturally we're a very flat organization. Every teammate knows how to reach me. I mean, when, when I send out my emails to the company, my cell phone number's on there. It's coming directly from my email address. It's not some alias that's going, uh, you know, off to someone else. It's coming straight to me. So uh, lot, lots of interaction and lots of ways to connect. I have to say, I've been in some boardrooms of some of the largest companies on the planet uh, across my, my last several years of working, and it's pretty rare to find a transparent flat organization like that. And, and I think I'm noticing the trend is beginning to shift a bit and people are realizing that you don't get to be as effective as you could be as an organization, as a leader, when you have those levels of hierarchies that kind of keep you from actually knowing what's going on at the, at the foundation of your organization, which really is the frontline workers. And it, it comes from a place, from my perspective, just hearing you of a true belief system a worldview, a perspective of life that's perhaps deeper than your corporate or your your uh, work life as well. And I, I'm going to pull out a quote here that perhaps you can shed some light on that that may inform the listeners around where that worldview comes from. I'm going to read it specifically. You say, giving back is the rent we pay for being on this earth. And that you feel like doing the little things that make a big difference in the lives of others and feeling like what you're doing is meaningful is hugely important. Say more about that because I think that's very powerful. And I think that is at least from my perspective, trickling into some of the things you've already shared earlier. Absolutely. I mean, this, uh, this was instilled in me at a young age. Uh, My grandpa, Gene, my, my maternal grandfather, uh, I'll never forget this. He was lying in a hospital bed here in Durham, North Carolina at, at Duke hospital. And, uh, I think I was about 11 at the time. And, uh, my sister Kara was, was 13 or so. And we came to visit him and he'd been in the hospital for months with a uh, post heart surgery. And Kara, my older sister is the most phenomenal student known to students. You know, she was a Rhodes Scholar semifinalist. She had like a, you know, 5.3 GPA, uh, you know, just ridiculous. And she was all proud of her grades and she could not wait to tell grandpa Jean about her latest report card. And he, you know, in his weakened state said, that's all well and good, but I don't really care about that. You know, did you do something to help people today? And so that ethos that you have to build community, that you have to help others, 
Um, and, and if you're not doing that, what the hell are you doing? Um, you know, nothing, nothing else really matters. Um, what was just, again, instilled in me very early. I was very fortunate also to, um, to find some mentors, some of whom don't, don't even know that they were mentors to me. Um, Clay Christensen was an HBS professor who was a, just a renowned professor and his talk, which he thought was going to be his last lecture. Uh, he, he recovered from some illness and, and actually ended up teaching uh, for a while longer, but I watched his recorded last lecture and he talked about the nobility of management. And it was, and, and his anecdote was about being at a company picnic that uh, where, where he was the CEO or owner of the company and seeing his employees and their families and having a deep appreciation for how their work impacted their family life. And I would extend that and it's the community life, right? How do we have healthy PTAs? How do we have people join rotary clubs? How do we have people get educated and read the newspaper so that they're informed voters and citizens? How do we have someone you know, how are we supporting someone so they're a better mother or father or brother, sister, aunt or uncle, what have you? It's a lot of it comes from finding meaning in your work and being able to support yourself in your work. And um, and and I think that's a very deeply human uh, human thing. I, I don't like the um, term work life balance so much because I think that this very stark separation causes more anxiety for many people than uh, than is actually helpful to think about. Um, not everyone is going to love every day of their job, but I think as a society, I think that we have to elevate the value of work itself and, and promote the inherent worthiness of all work. And, and I think that we've moved away from that, uh, unfortunately, and, and that um, again, it doesn't mean that, you know, we should all work 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week. It, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we shouldn't care about PTO. We should. We, we, we should care about all those things. We should care about enough time for leisure, enough time for uh, investing in family and investing in community groups and partnerships. But I think that just the inherent meaning and importance of of work is something that we have devalued both from a policy perspective and also from a cultural perspective. And um, th there's a great book called The Once and Future Worker by Oren Cass that, that I would recommend um, anyone read. It, I don't agree with all of his policy recommendations and in many ways he's more conservative and libertarian than I am. But I do think that at its core, he is calling for a reorientation of, of many of our policies around um, around raising raising our appreciation for uh, for work and for employment, and, and I think that has a lot of truth to it. I, I know we're running out of time, but I was sitting in a, a boardroom with a very large uh, bakery a manufacturer of baked goods years ago, and I, I, I hope they had great you know great baked goods and and uh, you know treats there on the table during this meeting. You, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was. Uh, a sole reason why I've gained my, gained my weight, but uh, I will say their baked goods are in my, my pantry right now. And they are at, yeah. at a weekly level. Um, yeah. But I remember being strongly impacted by the COO of that business because I remember him saying, 
none of us, and he was speaking about his executive team who was surrounding him, yeah. none of us have a job unless our frontline workers are doing their jobs. Like we are not the most important people. It's them. And we're here to support them and flip that triangle on its head where I'm at the bottom supporting you. You're not working for me. And I think that's very powerful. I'm hearing that come out of your words as well. That there's a better way of being a servant leader. There's a better way of, of, of leading our employees. Our clients don't give two hoots about uh, who I am. They don't give two hoots about, you know, whether we're backed by Bing Capital or some other, you know, private equity sponsor. They don't care where our headquarters is, which is in the cloud anyway. Uh, they, you know, they, I mean, truly, they care about who is it that is caring for me, for me or caring for my loved one on this given day. So I, I like to say that we are only as good as our least good caregiver teammate on his or her least good day. So, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, Joel, that is 100% true. Um, I think in a direct care um, world, in a direct care industry like we're in, and whether that's personal non-medical care or care management, um, I mean, it, it is that much starker than even a, a bakery frontline worker where, you know, chances are if, uh, you know, one croissant goes off the line without, you know, as many almonds or as many chocolate chips as, you know, as, as the protocol might call for, that's probably not ruining someone's day. Um, you know, if, if we have teammates who are, uh, you know, not at the top of their game, then that is, um, you know, that's a really big deal for our clients, our clients' families. It is amazing to me how incredible most of our teammates are almost every single day, right? And, and, and our days can become consumed by, uh, by the difficult situations which arise. Because when you have a thousand people in a thousand places at a thousand times or 2000 people in 2000 places at 2000 times, um, you know, sometimes someone's going to oversleep or sometimes a, a teammate's child is going to get sick and it's going to throw the day off. Sometimes our clients wake up and they haven't had a good night you know, that, and they're not feeling well, right? Or, or they're, they're grouchy. So things are going to happen every single day. And how do we build in the resilience to, uh, to, to handle those situations with professionalism, with, uh, with grace, and then still maintain the focus and the energy on celebrating all the amazing things that are happening. That is, that is where, um, you know, we need to continue to push. That is where it's one of the reasons that in our industry, so many companies have stayed very small is because the fires of the day can become all consuming. It can, it can make people jaded. It can become exhausting. And so again, we have to build a system that can handle those and handle them well, and then still lean in and maintain our focus on the treasuring, maintain our focus on building that culture of mutual respect and of gratitude. Wonder, wonderfully said, and uh, I'll leave you with this last question uh, for the sake of time today. And I'd love to pick it up on another day as well. It's been fantastic sure. talking to you. What's something that you believe 
that everyone else in the world believed too would make this world a better place? There's absolutely no substitute for showing up. Um, and this is embedded in uh, one of our three core values. Uh, it's walk a mile to build relationships. In a world today where uh, it is easier to do a Zoom call than to meet in person for coffee or lunch or for a walk. Uh, in, in a world today where there are a lot of software systems that will send an automated thank you message, uh, you know, where it just pulls a name from a spreadsheet and, you know, off it goes. And you can do that at scale because it's easy. There's no substitute for building those in-person relationships. Uh, I, I, I love the Rotary Club I'm in. I get to meet people from all different parts of Durham with all kinds of different ideas politically and religiously and socially. And, and you know, I, I don't think that there are enough opportunities for us, or, or I take that back. There are plenty of opportunities, but sometimes we become too, uh, too close-minded and, and we live around people who think like us. We, send our children to school with people who are too similar to ourselves. So I think that showing up and making that extra effort, even when you're tired, even when it's scary to walk into a room where you don't know anybody or, you know, one person, uh, that, that is something that I hope, um, we can all get back to in person, uh, on the heels of, of this pandemic. And hopefully 2022 is going to be a much brighter, healthier, safer year than, 2020 or 2021. But um, again, I, I believe in person is better than video chat and video chat and phone are definitely better than email and email is definitely better than text message and text message is probably still better than than Twitter uh, and tweeting, which which I'm not on. But but I, I think showing up is uh, is absolutely critical. And um, Joel, I'm, I'm so honored that you invited me to, uh, to be on this podcast today. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe you'll have me back for season two. Let's do that. Let's do that for sure. Can't thank you enough. Amazing insights for those listening. I hope that you've taken a wealth of information and inspiration away from today with Ari and his background, his passion for people and leadership. Uh, remember the health of our teams is directly correlated to how well we lead and being healthy, positive leaders ourselves. So for those listening, thank you. And until next time, this has been the Frontline Industry Podcast. If you liked that episode and want more, please visit FrontlineIndustryPodcast.com. And since you are listening all the way to the end, I'd be very thankful if you take a moment and support this show by clicking the follow button and any other notification bells on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using because every Wednesday we drop a new episode and that will just remind you when that new show is out so you don't miss it because missing it would be sad. Thanks a bunch. I really appreciate your support.